brought to you by Chill Fit Cryo. Are you suffering from sports injuries, chronic pain, sleep disorders, or depression? Are you willing to try something that only requires three minutes of your time? Then you need to get some cryotherapy from Chill Fit Cryo in your life. Our friends at Chill Fit Cryo in Tempe, Arizona, have been helping people with these issues for over 10 years. I've actually been seeing them for over five years to help me with injury prevention and rapid injury repair. When I tore cartilage in my ribs before a pajama wrestling tournament, Paul and his team got me back on the mat as quickly as possible. Uh, my drugs of choice are full body cryo and the cryo zone. Chillfit Cryo has allowed me to sleep better due to my shift work and also recover faster from workouts. Some of the benefits of cryotherapy include reduced inflammation and flushing of toxins from the body, increased blood circulation and increased energy, improved sleep quality, targeted rapid injury repair, decreased fatigue and soreness, and a bunch of other things. Chill Fit Cryo, Recover, Reset, Restore. They're located on University and the 101 in Tempe. You can find more information about them at their website and on Instagram at chillfitcryo.com. That's C-H-I-L-L-F-I-T-C-R-Y-O. Chill Fit Cryo, Recover, Reset, Restore. All right, welcome back, everybody, to uh, Make the Difference podcast. Um, today, we've got a guest with us that I'm kind of excited to talk about. We're going to talk about buyer stuff, so everybody who's not normally part of our public safety uh, uh, audience, uh, you, you you either may be impressed or bored. We I'm not 100% sure. So uh, standard cast of characters today, myself and, uh, and Brandon Meon. Brian's helping us out from uh, 40 Volt Media. And our guest today is Chris Slayer. Uh, Chris is currently a captain uh, with the uh, Mesa Fire Department, uh, hopefully moving on from that position into another position here soon. Um, but uh, we wanted to have Chris on here to talk about, uh, you know, kind of our, our standard format of, of, of talking to folks and, and, and interesting people in interesting positions and, uh, and, and, and see... Uh, uh, you know, see see how he sees the world and see how he sees our our career, and uh, I think that's a that's a cool thing. That's gonna be one of the most the top five fire names I think I've ever heard. Slayer, I, I, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, yeah. if, you know, if you're yeah. gonna pick your your fire name, yeah. that that it would not have been a horrible one to go with. You'd either have to play fucking guitar in a in a hard rock band. Or yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I totally. Yeah, agree. it have to be sat like race car driver, yeah. fireman. Yeah, you uh-huh. have to have with a name like that. You can't be like an accountant. Right. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't have any like dra- rogue dragon tattoos or anything like yeah, anything like you're that. So, yeah. that. Yeah, that's a missed uh, opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're failing us right now. Yeah. yeah and by the way, that's one for your uh, Instagram viewers. So. Right. Damn it. No. <laughs> we'll try to keep it under 100. Yeah. Keep drinking. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, uh, so Chris, uh, let's uh, tell us kind of kind of where you come from, where you how, how you got to this point, and uh, and 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 we'll talk about career stuff and and that kind of stuff. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, so out, out of college, I wanted to be a, a cop, believe it or not. And uh, I'm sorry. I know, right? <laughs> uh, man, uh, thank God for uh, Phoenix Fire and a guy named Mike Planetta. Uh, he really. Really? Yeah, Planet A? Planet A. responsible for you? Yeah, and, and wow. Tom Penley. Um, I started volunteering with the Sheriff's Department doing some mountain rescue because I was a pretty avid rock climber and uh, did a bunch of uh, high altitude mountaineering with Tom and those guys. Okay. And they kind of convinced me to go to fire route. Um, so yeah, planet a, so did you um, grow up here? I, I did. 
Uh, I grew up on the west side in, in Glendale. We, you know, went to Ironwood High School, Glendale oh, okay. Community College, and then um, just stayed out on the west side. I still live out there. Okay. Where'd and, you, when did you graduate? Uh, 91. 91. Okay. Yep. Right on. Got it. All right. Cool. So, um, was... Uh, did, in high school, was were, did you want to be a cop? I did. Really? Yep. Okay. Yeah, all, so all the while. way through. All right. Yeah. Cool. Um, did you uh, sports important to you? What t- what what, I, what mattered to you back then? I wrestled um, back then, and uh, you know, I was about. I think I wrestled at ninety three pounds back in high right school, <laughs> and then yeah. you know, I bumped that up to one nineteen every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I, after getting on the fire service, I tended to you know put on a li- put on a little weight and uh, ice cream That's weird. and we recliners. Usually don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that, yeah, that that was it back then. Uh, just a lot of family stuff. You know, I I went out and did a lot of high altitude mountaineering, some adventure racing. Did some eight thousand meter challenge. I repped for uh, Sierra Designs, Jan Sport, and a, a company that did that. Okay. And uh, worked at uh, as a lifeguard, and then popular outdoor outfitters back then. Oh yeah. And uh, moved up from management to working in the, as a buyer, and uh, met some good connections in the outdoor industry. And then uh, realized that I didn't uh, wasn't cut out for the office so much. Needed to go back. Uh, so I asked him if I could go back as management into the stores and work with people. And uh, did that until I got on the fire department. Nice. So, what'd you study in college? Uh, just uh, fire fire safety, actually. Okay. So, yeah, I've got my my degree in uh, fire administration. Got so. it. Got it. Right on. All right. So, how did, did you I miss what school? Was it the Harvard of the South or no? Oh, no, yeah. it was not Harvard of the South. <laughs> it was just Glendale Community, and then on okay. to uh, uh, Columbia Southern. Gotcha. So, so just oh, finished right up yeah. my bachelor's online. So, so Maryville Secondary. And <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, so, uh, how do you end up in Mesa? Uh, they were just testing at the right time. Okay. So, uh, so not necessarily purposeful, but, uh, uh, but a little bit opportunity. Yeah. Just opportunity. One of my friends said, Hey, Mesa fire's hiring. And uh, I was doing some retail stuff at the time and I said, yeah, I'll drive out there and, and test. And I got on my first try. So it, uh, it, it was it was interesting. It was, it was the best decision I've ever made as far as a career path and, and for to support my family. Never have to worry about that again. And I, I love the agency. I love the department. Nice. So, nice. What was their is their their testing process is different, right? Don't they do like some? I actually don't know. Yeah. So so back when I took it, I've been on for just a little over 23 years now. And uh, shoot, I held every rule. I think I did. Uh, Firefighters spent a little time on special teams, got to go to Katrina for a little while. Um, then I was engineer for several years, then captain for a little over 17 years before I'm now tempted as BC. But uh, hopefully hopefully finish this process up this year and get, get promoted. But, um, yeah, it, the organization is, is fantastic. So it's, uh, it's been good. Yeah, so the hiring, how, how did that work at the, in the day? Well, you take a um, written test? Yeah, then... it's the same as yours. Actually, when I when I took it, they uh, crossed out Phoenix Fire on the packet and put Mesa. <laughs> so it, it was the, the same packet as Phoenix handed out uh, then. Funny. And um, so we did the, the same process. It was the, the written, and then back then, Mesa did it Scantron. So as soon as I walked out, they, I had a, a grade on my test, and I had, it was scheduled for a... a, a well, it wasn't CPAP back then, but it was like an on-target or, or yeah. something that we used Some to do. Some kind of physical agility. Yeah, yeah, so we did the physical agility. They tell you you're qualified. I got an interview date that day. Went to my first interview a week later, and then my second interview a week after that. Um, that was right around 
Thanksgiving-ish, and then I uh, started the academy on my birthday um, in, uh, let's see, 99-1. Got it. So, okay. Yeah. What was the class name? Uh, we didn't even have one back then. Oh, you guys didn't yeah, do Yeah, we didn't even do them. Yep. Did, so, uh, so how many people in your class, and well, I got a couple questions. Yeah, how many people ended up in your recruit class? There was 30 of us, but uh, some from Salt River as well. I think okay. so. I think there was about 22 of us from Mesa at the, at the time. So we had a big class. So How long did it take from, you know, the, 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 the written test, so to speak, till you were hired? How just how short of a period does that? Two two that months, really? yeah, because it okay. was right in November, and I was I was in the academy January eleventh. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. we've never done, we've never been able to get our shit together to be able to do it that it, fast. Uh, we don't do it like that anymore. It takes a, a little bit longer, but uh, yeah, it, it was fast. Then I, I was surprised. So yeah, no why. And I retire in two a year and eleven months. I'll or almost two years. I'll retire just before my birthday. Nice again. Nice. So nice. yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. I'm always. I, because isn't Mesa like the second biggest department in the valley? Yeah. 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 How many yep. stations? Uh, we have 21 now. 21 stations and how many firefighters? Uh, just over 400. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yep. I was always curious. And then so then, how many battalions? Uh, four? Four three? battalions four now. Battalions? Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's bigger. I, I'm not a big East Valley guy. I didn't spend a lot of time out there. So Mesa's way bigger than... All the cool I kids live on this side of town. I give I it... If you know that. I grew up on this side of town, <laughs> but not that far. Right, yeah. And uh, so I... Uh, um, yeah, I, 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 I... Mesa's definitely bigger than I have... Uh, give it credit for in my own head. So... Um, yeah, because I always wonder too, because it's a lot of square miles, right? Yeah, 128, I think. Spread out, yeah. So it's not small. So how long does the academy last? Uh, ours was 18 weeks, and I think they're doing about the same now, yeah. 16, 18 weeks. Was it all in the academy, or do you go and do anything during All the in class? the academy. All in the academy, okay. Yep. Yeah, ours was, ours was 15 weeks, but three of those were spent out in the field, and then we would go back and finished off. They don't do it that way anymore, but there's some value to it, I think. Mine was 12. I probably could have been six. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think after week eight, you don't do a, you don't do a damn thing. Yeah, well, that's... Oh, yeah. Not, that's that's the trainer's fault, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, what what else are we doing now? Yeah. So, so um, you finish the academy, and then how does it work uh, on probation out in Mesa? So uh, we keep we keep kind of changing that too to figure out what's working best. I think uh, when I did it, I had three uh, rotations for about three three months each, uh-huh. and then now they're doing two six months rotations. Uh, I think just because really, the, yeah, the the number of recruits that we have and the limited uh, the limited spots for them. So that we're doing two six months rotations right now. So we'll see. I would not want to be the same station for six months. Yeah, I, it could uh, be awesome or it could be totally shitty. Right, it could. That, that <laughs> is the benefit of to a shorter time. Yeah, and, and you get more you get more experience how supervisors are and how the agencies run. You know, if you only get that view two times, then right. it really limits your view of the organization as a whole. So yeah. engine ladder, obviously, right? Yeah, engine okay. engine ladder. Yeah. Okay. And and are those positions dedicated for probationary firefighters, or they, are they, they just are. you fill in? Okay, yeah. they are. So that's that's what. We Does do. anybody do a fifth man as a probationary firefighter? Mm, yeah, there's some departments that do yeah. uh i i know for instance fdny you go to a fire you get assigned to a firehouse just because there's an opening gotcha and it's not necessarily just a probationary opening and there you also have the chance of not after probation you don't have to, stay. Have to necessarily leave yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. There's, it's so i think there's a wide variety of the way they handle stuff gotcha. um across the country at least um so uh uh how was probation for you 
Uh, probation was pretty smooth. It's think, thinking back that long, you know, yeah. <laughs> almost 24 years ago. But yeah, probation was great. I had some great captains uh, I, and great senior firefighters. And, and that's that's really where I, I learned the value of a senior firefighter. Yeah. And, and then how a captain and, and informal leader, engineer, pump operator, whatever you want to call it, uh, how they lead and the, the, the value and role of a senior firefighter um, to, for you to go to first. So I, I thought it was pretty smooth. I had some really good, um, senior firefighters and, you know, one of them is our ops chief right now. Oh, cool. So it, uh, we have a, a really good relationship, super open-minded. I'm glad they put them in that position. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I thought probationary promotion went really, really well. How structured is it? For probationary guys, I guess then and now. So it's about the same, um, and it's, so they have a rookie packet that they have to go through, which is just the fundamentals. And you know, of course, they're they're different. You're going to have captains that that pencil whip that, and they're not going to get the training they need. And then you're going to have captains that say, "Hey, this is the minimum standard, and we're going to go above and beyond." And mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> I think every organization has those, you know, those individuals as leaders. But it it's. Um, it's fairly it's fairly structured as structured as we can make it without uh, without going too too far. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's one thing I noticed too. Jake always calls their probationary guys rookies. Rookies. Yeah. Is that uh-huh. a Mesa thing or am I just? No, uh, I think it's fire service. A lot yeah. of fire service yeah. uses that terminology. I think we're actually might be the weird ones. Really? Yeah. Okay. In do you general. call them probationary firefighters or you call them yeah. booters? Both. Both, yeah. Okay. Both. Can we can we even call them booters anymore? I heard people. I don't. I have make them sad. Yeah, it might make them sad. I don't know. Yeah, we call them booters. Yeah, maybe. I, I, uh, I thought my name was stupid for nine months. <laughs> Just nine months changed. Yeah. Well, maybe my <laughs> yeah. nine months. Hey, stupid. Yeah, yeah you talking to me? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very cool. So, uh, how's it work after probation? What do you guys do? Because you don't. Like we're used to like a, a system that has ambulances and system, you know, that that may, that has some differences, I think, from yours. What do you where do you go? How does it work? What do you do? So we typically go, just go in the rover pool. Um, they um, balance that out between the A, B and C shift. And uh, until you can bid an open spot, then we'll, we'll go in the rover pool after probation. Purely a seniority based system y- then to get, yeah, seniority to get one of those bidding. spots. Yeah, yeah, got it. That's cool. Um, and so. How does training go once you're out of the probationary bubble? Yeah, just quarterly. You know, we ha- we have three different types of training, and it and it's hit or miss, unfortunately. And I, I don't think we're mutually exclusive, but we have company training, battalion training, and then you know regional training. And depending on on what happens there, it's it's what the company officers make that as well, because the organization budget wise and time wise, with being an all hazards department like we all are it's difficult to put stuff on our calendar. So really we have to leave that up to the, the company officers to, to drill and educate themselves. So is there, is it, is there a high expectation of that? Uh, not high enough. Right. I yeah. think, I think, um, and this is just my personal opinion, but somewhere along the line, we, we've accepted mediocrity and, um, there's no expectation of, Hey, you will go drill here. Um, even with our, uh, our target solutions and being nationally accredited, they say we have to train two hours a day, you know, and, and document that. But I would say less than half of our organization actually does that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, and it's, 
Yeah. Well, there's a lot, a lot of things play into that, right? The right. leadership and, and, and all that. So, uh, it's a, it, yeah, it's a challenge. And so what, how, how is it for the high performers? So if you start talking about company officers working in that environment and, uh, and, and, you know, what, whatever the normal bar is, the ones that uh, work above it, what, how, how do they, how are they accepted? Uh, well, you're going to open Pandora's box. Yeah. Um, so I think it depends uh, on their their relationships, their um, reputations, and, and everything that go along that with the organization as a whole, because we do have those those high performers. And depending on who their managers are, that's either accepted or it's not. Um, and we we can take those guys to a whole new level and their rookies are trained higher. And then you'll hear, you know, people shut them down like, Oh, they're, they're, they're dangerous or, um, they're, uh, what do I want to say here? Lost for words. They're flying out of bounds. Yeah. Yep. So they're, they're making people nervous with what they know and then how they're performing. And, um, their company officers or battalion chiefs, you know, we, we've got to come together as a whole. And I know we discussed this here. There's a, there's a gap right now between, you know, modern fire tactics, where, how we ventilate, like compared to what we used to with, with those fuels and a lot of tactics and tasks now are being taught and, uh, our, our training divisions, our academies and conferences around the country that are motivated firefighters are picking up. And, you know, we all say water boils from the bottom up. Well, if we have our chief officers that don't quite understand that, we tend to stifle that growth. And, and it starts in our academy. We, we're starting to, you know, teach these advanced techniques, and we're not crawling on our knees anymore, and we're good at changing levels in, in the fire. Um, just like you, you're a jiu-jitsu practitioner. You, yeah, I'm, not very, yeah. I'm not very good. Yeah, <laughs> so, but imagine how bad you would be if you couldn't change levels, right? Yeah. So if you couldn't change levels from, you know, standing up and grappling and, and doing that type of stuff from, okay, now I'm, you know, on my back and I got to get in guard or half guard or, you know, whatever that is, if you couldn't change levels, you would be terrible. Yeah. Right. More so, terrible. right. More terrible. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I look at that, it's the same thing as the fire service. If you walk in there and you only have one game and that's standing up through the fire, right. then, then that's a problem. So what we're doing now anyways, to, to digress is we're, we're teaching these skills in the academy and then they're getting out and company officers don't understand what we're doing. And we get out there and go, we don't do that. We're not going to pull that two and a half ever. Or we, we're not going to clamp or clamp slide ever because I don't understand it. I was never taught. So now I'm dragging these, these rookies, booters, probationary firefighters up off the floor that they just learned in the, the 16, 18-week academy. And now I have crushed our organization's growth because I just told them everything they have learned in the last 18 weeks is wrong. So to go back to your question is um i think those those high performance firefighters it's hit or miss depending on their leaders when right? you say high performance you're talking about a shift right <laughs> <laughs> about a well, shift? i think i'm going to switch to a shift here so <laughs> yes yeah because <laughs> the b shift guys are like what are we doing yeah <laughs> yeah uh, we're just happy they came to work yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're we eating at 12 or 12 yeah. 15 <laughs> um so Let's let's talk about let's talk about what's going on across the country right now. Okay, and 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 because 
it's influencing us, whether we know it, whether we, we acknowledge it, and, and us, I'm just meaning the, 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 the regional fire service, right? And so what, uh, from your perspective, what is going on out there? And, and how is it different now than 10, 15, 20 years ago than when we started? Because it is different. It's very different. You, you, you know, I both know it and are living it. Man, the, so I, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I read a book by si- Simon, um, Simek? S- yeah, yeah. Simek, Simek, yeah. And, uh, it's the infinite game. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's kind of where, where I'm at now. It's like when I was a, when I was a company officer and a young company officer, I wanted that finite win. I wanted, I wanted the victory. And now as I progress towards and those the, victories have a beginning, middle and an end, an right? end, right? Yep. So they, they absolutely do. And, and, and that's the high performance part, right? And then as I approach the end of my, my career, I more want that fulfillment piece, right? And, and, I, and I give the speech in some of my classes and I say, hey, my job, and I, and I had a whole you know, career path change in about 2016, taking some classes and listening to some stuff. But um, I, I realized that my job as, as their senior officer and training officer is not to bring them home at the end of the day or the end of the shift it's to bring these people home at the end of their 25-year career and it doesn't stop there I need to give you the knowledge and the education and and the passion to bring your members home at the end of their 25-year career and and that's what started my training journey is realizing that right um and, and it's not about the little victories anymore it's about that fulfillment piece uh, and thinking about the infinite game and our organizations and, and our regional organizations as a whole. How can we make this better for our community? How can we make this safer for our people? Because as we just discussed, you know, we just lost five firefighters this year already. Mm-hmm. And this is a dangerous a job. Period. Yeah. And uh, I think I think we've lost sight of a lot of things. And I know Chris and I have, you, you and I have had this conversation, you know, like, What's the difference between, you know, a search culture? Our, I think our search culture is lousy. That's just me talking. I think our ground ladders culture is lousy. And I think our fast water opinion is lousy. Um, and uh, I think we could work on that a- as a region and yeah. make it safer for us, uh, us as firefighters, but more importantly, the community we swore to protect. 100%. So, 100%. So, um, so what happened in 2016? So I, uh, I, I tested for our training division, and I didn't get the job, which was the best thing that ever happened to me. So I ended up uh, talking well, you to You did say it's everybody else's fucking fault. What's wrong with you guys? <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking bullshit. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep, that's, yeah. That. You got the wrong attitude. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I ended up uh, talking to a guy. I went back to UL, and I did their um, uh, positive pressure ventilation, positive pressure attack studies. And I mm-hmm. met a guy named John Kroll. And uh, him and I kind of became friends, and he's a battalion chief, or retired now, in uh, in um, down by Philadelphia or that area. Yeah. And um, so he introduced me to a guy named Andy Starnes, and this this kind of was the the path. And Andy does uh, insight training for thermal imaging and stuff. Like he, he's a great dude, and he invited me out to some of the stuff they did with Kill the Flashover Project, and so. 
Next thing I know, I'm flying out to North Carolina, and he put me on a fire attack team. I think we did like 200 gigs of data and had people from Ecuador and Sweden and did all kinds of different fire tactics. Then all of a sudden, I'm in Boise teaching about fire behavior, and ultimately, I think I went to six different states and two countries that year, uh, training with now, you know, some of the best firefighters that I think are uh, across the country, which are the, the Brian Brushes, the Aaron Fields, you know, the, the Cody Tresh drills from Brothers in Battle, and, um, and Aaron's class kind of changed my, my career path. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he tells a story about him being third-generation fire and a, a guy that took his dad's place in 19, I want to say 89, it was uh, the Seattle Blackstock Fire, Arson Fire in Lumberyard. Um, they thought Aaron's dad was, was killed in that fire for about two hours, and um, he said uh, there ended up to be a guy named Matt Johnston on that, that rig for his dad that day, he pa- and he passed away in, in his dad's spot. So uh, he tells the story, he says, you know, this kid is uh, over his dad's casket, American flag, you know, and a two-year-old at the time. And he's like, fast forward 20 years, and this mom comes up to me and, and pokes me in the chest type of thing and says, hey, I need you to look me in the eye and, and tell me you've done everything you have, can to bring my son home safe because uh, I can't lose another one. And I can't tell him he can't do this job because he's always wanted to do this job. And he said, yes, ma'am, we, we've done everything we can to bring him home. And as he left, the, one of the senior guys came up to him and said, you know who that was? He goes, no. He goes, that was Matt Johnson's wife, and that kid that just graduated from the academy was Matt's son. Oh, geez. Right? So as I sat there and listened to this story, and Aaron tells it much better than I do, um, you know, because it, it, it's important to him, but it became important to me because as I was sitting there listening to this, I said, uh, Chris, you, you have chosen to work in a, in a station where you have a rookie every four months, and this is your job to bring them home, Right. So it's time to step up your game. So as I did that, I progressed, met Brian Brush at uh, uh, FDIC mm-hmm. and went through his presentation. And um, he What's got FDIC? A, a, a fire department instructors conference. It's probably the biggest conference in the United States, about 40,000 firefighters every year in, gotcha. in uh, Indiana. I can yeah. really make it to the fire truck every show. It's, so. It's got a, <laughs> so it's got a long standing history of being kind of the the central hub of fire fire service instruction okay. and and it's all over the all over the spectrum of things that we can talk about and train on and those types of things and it brings together a pretty large group of people um, every year like and thousands or hundreds or thousands thousands yeah, 40,000 usually yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's it tends one to be place a pretty at big one time yeah yeah, yeah for one for a single conference over a week's time right yeah, yeah that's a lot of and people though. so um, yeah, so it's uh, it's actually a big deal. I think fire engineering now is the biggest they uh, are. supporter of it. Yeah, um, but it's but it's been, but it's it was big before that, right? Gotcha. And 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 uh, and it, it's a it's a conference that actually matters. Gotcha. Yeah, so I, I walked into one class and I was like, this one's not for me. I kind of walked out, went into Brian's class, and Brian says, anybody that wants this presentation, come on up and get it. And uh, he just got inundated with people. So I handed him a challenge coin and said, your class didn't suck. And, and I left. And later on, I reached out to him. He goes, you're the guy that gave me the challenge coin. And uh, since that day, Brian and I have been friends ever since. And I started teaching with him at Fire by Trade. And, and he has been one of my biggest mentors in the fire service since. So um, 
without him, I don't think I'd be where I'm at in my career. And so I try to pay that forward with uh, other instructors. And since I've met him, I mean, I, I've got to teach at Firemanship multiple times, the Mile High Conference, some of these big, big conferences around. Um, just H spread, Rock. Just, H -Rock. Yeah, yeah, the High Rise yep. Operations Conference, Water on the Fire. Um, I've got two more this year already, uh, one in Florida and then one in uh, um, South Bend, Indiana, and not including Copper State, which is coming up. Yep. Um, so it, it keeps us pretty busy, you know, spreading that word. And, and I think I've had some of the best mentors in the fire service. In fact, that's what kind of prompted tactics on tap. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told my chief, I said, chief, you're really going to hate this. I said, because you, it's kind of out of your control. We're going to go have beer and talk about fire stuff like we always do. And so it, and it blew up. It started uh, something really small. Um, I had a whiteboard at the Thirsty Lion, and I'm drawing houses with flow path on them, and we're talking about stuff. And then finally, people couldn't hear because it got so big. So spinning around my laptop, and then finally, you know, 50 or 60 people are showing up to this thing, and we had to get a room with a projector. And, and that's all firefighters do anyways, right? We, we get away from there, and we talk, talk about work over beer. So now I got firefighters pulling hose line through the bar, and we're doing a forcible <laughs> entry class, you know, and stuff yeah. like that. So tactics on tap to the off. bars love it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and they loved it, right? So and we had fun, you know. It, it's it's just like, hey, here's how you force a lock. It's right there, and here's the mechanical advantage of the Halligan, and here's the form we call it math, right? <laughs> mechanical advantage of the Halligan, and and we started just talking about stuff, and then of course COVID hit about a year and a half later, and we we kind of had to shut that down. And, and hence how you and I met, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a couple pages on Facebook with uh, uh, one is Fire Training Toolbox with John Schaefer and like four other guys we write for that. I think we have almost 50,000 people on it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we've got another one, which is just local here for and called Tactics on <coughs> Tap. And uh, crazy enough, that's yep. how I met you. Yeah, absolutely. So so, so let's, let's talk about this a little bit. So there's a... There is a grassroots. I don't. I don't want to call it underground because it's not. But it. But it's not. It's not mainstream. Very little of it is sponsored by organizations or specific departments. There are some fairly progressive places like Escambia County and those that are that are that very much supported and are are outwardly supporting it. But but a lot of you guys are working. Uh, as individuals, right? And you come together and you form these groups of, uh, um, of, of grassroots, really strong instructors that are having to do things that fire departments can't do or they're choosing not to do, right? right. However you want to look at it. Uh, a little bit of both. Yeah, you right. Know, to, to, to be totally honest. And um, a, a, when I was in Boise, um, early, early on, I met a guy named James Greenwood. And he's a, an attorney. Uh, very unassuming, though. He's tatted from knuckle to neck, <laughs> and he is uh, one of the most amazing people I, I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. And uh, him and I generated a really good conversation about nozzle work there, and he sat on the board of this 501c3 that I really knew nothing about called Fire Nuggets. Mm -hmm. And so they had called me and said, hey, um, do you have any information you'd like to share? And I said, well, hey, what? Uh, always, always, what's mine is yours. This is not proprietary. I did not make this up. I have done some research, and here's what I think's best. I put the puzzle pieces together, and if you want it, here you go. Yep. How many texts can you get in a row? You know, um, and, and I, 
I, I believe by sharing that knowledge is much, much better and putting those, those things out there than ever. I think, I, I, don't quote me on this, but I think it was Ronald Reagan that said it, it, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. Yeah, right. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's kind of where, where I'm at right now. So, Fire Nuggets called, and then they asked me to be a part of it. So, I hosted a lot of little mini conferences out here. I brought in Dr. David Griffin and Mark Von Oppen in the city of Glendale for a leadership conference. And then I brought in the Arizona Cancer Coalition for a cancer um, thing. And then I brought in uh, Peter Van Dorp, um, for a fire behavior who sat on UL and he's part of the uh, fire instructor society. Yeah. He's on the, uh, advisory uh, board for UL. He's, yeah. he's, he's the real deal. So, and he's the one who told me, Chris, you know, you'll never affect change in your own organization. 50 miles in a briefcase makes you an expert. So, and, yeah. and, and he's, he's not wrong. So, uh, or it's very, it's slower than normal change anyways. Um, so we, we started going through this process of holding little conferences, and in 2019, Chandler Fire hosted um, uh, the, the first Copper State. Mm-hmm. And it was, man, I don't, I'm dating myself, but you guys have been along enough to know, too, is we used to have a conference here at the Biltmore every year or so called the Incident Management Symposium. Oh, yeah, there that, were three conferences a year at our peak, yeah, right? And the yep. IMS was... A, uh, a big one. And I got to go to that almost every year as a young company officer, yep. and, and that was inspiring. And, you know, Bruno was way ahead of his time in Compton and those guys that put that stuff on, and it was great. I still play pension stealer and, and laugh at these <laughs> chiefs you should, now, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. you know, and yeah. uh, the Twilight well, Sector. Yeah, I was just yeah. showing my crews the other day again. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, – but – I, I think we've lost part of that. Part of it is budget. Part of it is time. And then again, I don't. I can't think of another career or corporation that says, "Hey, this is your base level training, and now this is all you need for twenty five years." That's not okay. That's not that infinite mindset, right? That's a finite mindset. If I graduated the academy, I'm a firefighter. I got this job, and I don't have to do shit for the rest of my career. That's not okay. I I know organizational leaders that have said nothing has changed about firefighting in the last 25 years. Yeah. And that's one of the, that's one of the most dangerous statements I've personally witnessed or personally heard from a leader. Right. That's, that's crazy to me. It's almost as bad as Dr. David Griffin saying, Hey, it's the way we've always done it. Right. The most dangerous phrase in the American fire service is that's the way we've always done it. So, um, and, and, the the evolution you know is is here and we got to start thinking of, of that that long long game yeah so so what are you guys doing are you teaching like witchcraft and and magic tricks and and real crazy shit yeah for sure yeah. i i was told for a long time ago that chris this is too advanced our firefighters aren't going to get it and i said <laughs> man this is the extreme basics this is this is task level stuff uh, the problem is, is uh, again, I see it more now being tempted as BC, and I, I risk my promotion here, but I th- see, you know, our, our leaders in the organization dabbling way too much in task level stuff, and um, you know, th- we need to train our firefighters t- to pull the ho- the correct hose, the correct line, and identify the, our company officers to identify the correct weapons that they have available to them. Because the inch and three quarter pre-connect is not the answer on every fire. And, and that's what I see. And my organization, just for example, we have, uh, you know, our, our bumper line is an inch and three quarter with 100 and, 
uh, 50 gallons per minute fog. Our first cross lay is a 150 gallon per minute fog, 200 feet. Our next cross lay is a 150 gallon a minute fog, 100, or 200 feet now. And then our third cross lay is actually a two and a half. And up until a few years ago, it had a gated Y on it, which we're going to connect 100 feet of inch and three quarter with another way to deploy inch and three quarter. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and then we have a 300 foot inch and three quarter you know, 150 gallon minute fog. I'm like, okay, how successful do you think our United States military would be if we just gave them nine millimeters, right? Because that's what you're asking this million dollar fire truck to do, mm-hmm. right? Is flow 150 gallons a minute out of every single hose line. We don't have the capability of flowing big water weapons because our offensive and de- defensive mindsets are are tactically not sound, right? And and honestly we're not even on the same page of what big fire is. I ask people all the time, what's big fire? Quantify it for me. And it's different across the board. And uh, so anyways, we, we started evaluating this hose process and I put a nozzle on it every day. And finally the chief's like, hey, why, why are you putting that inch and three sixteenths nozzle on that two and a half? And I said, well, chief, I said, let's just play this out. And I said, if we, if we run these out at the same time, you with your gated Y, and myself with this hose, and your kids are trapped up on a balcony, and I open mine up at 5.5 gallons a second, and you're waiting to deploy your inch and three-quarter, you know, attack pack, said, uh, how long is that going to take, roughly? And uh, I was like, at 30 seconds? You know, Glendale had theirs, you know, pre-connected as their Glendale load, and I said, I'll give you 30 seconds. I said, in 30 seconds at 5.5 gallons a second, I, I hit about 150 gallons of water on that fire before you opened your bale. Right. And I said, the kicker is at 150 gallons a minute, it's going to take you another minute to catch what I've already delivered. So who do you want there if your kids are trapped on the balcony? So we've made that change now um, through a lot of conversation and a lot of heartache of getting rid of the, the gated Y as a primary attack. And for the record, I never said get rid of the gated Y. I just said get rid of it as a primary attack. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah. It would be would be my preference yeah. that we don't use it actually in interior firefighting, and it would be my preference that it's not right. uh, something that we uh, we've re- come to rely on as heavily as we have. It's not reliable, right? And and you know we're asking our nozzles typically to do stuff they're they're not capable of doing. You know, if we look at most of our automatic fogs, and I'll get off this topic, but uh, if we look at most of these, um, they're good to sixty to two hundred gallons a minute. And if we're meeting our NFPA target recommendations, NFPA 1710, that's 300 GPM from the first two hose lines, yep. right? So if, if we are intending to do that off a horizontal standpipe operation and one line shuts down, that 300 GPM goes to that other nozzle, and it's not capable of flowing that. So what typically happens... Nor is it safe for the operator. Uh, nor is it safe, right? Because yep. the nozzle reaction increases exponentially, you know, it's already over probably 129 pounds of nozzle reaction, so that firefighter tends to gate down right away. Well, the automatic nozzle adjusts for that, but now they could be going in as little as 60 GPM interior on a structure fire, and that's just not safe. We can't, we, we can't do that. But the explanation, you know, start with why. Again, Simon Sinek, right? Start with why. Let's talk about why this doesn't work and why it has worked in the, in the past, and sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And we didn't have the target flows back then. Yeah. Right? So you you mentioned that the gateway is not reliable. Why? 
because people are going to want to know why. Well, so it's not it, it's reliable in the sense that it mechanically works, right? But it there's no pressure regulation, there's no volume regulation yeah, in using it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. So, and we yeah. treat it as it's on and off, right? right. Yep. That's if it. if you well, th- there's a whole bunch of different reasons here, but uh, if we talk about just the specific deal, uh, the, 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 the appliance of a gated Y, it's not actually giving us what we want. There's always a trade-off. It's a trade-off when you're flowing two lines mm-hmm. because the trunk line can't yep. support what those two lines should be delivering or uh, when one line gets shut off intermittently like it always does at mm-hmm. the fire ground, then all of that gets shunted to the other line mm-hmm. and then it becomes dangerous and or ineffective because the, the either it puts the nozzle person in a bad position or they're gating down and they're not getting the water, to, they're right. flowing the water that they actually should have. That's what I was hunting for. Yep. So. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. So anyway, uh, any, what you know that that's our our training problem and and our our I- I issue at an operational level, right? There's operation, there's deployment, and then there's uh, you know the task level stuff. So and equipment. So and, and that falls into that. And now that we're educated on some of this stuff, uh, you know, the hose diameter and the nozzle orifice should be X Y Z. Yep. Right. We know this it should be bought as a package. We know these bales are better with these types of smooth bore or fog tips. Uh, is it a high pressure or low pressure bail? Now that we're educated on this stuff, we got to start making some of these changes, you know, um, because ultimately we're fighting fire, not hose, right? We don't want to kick our firefighters' butt for no reason because we have unnecessary pressures because we, as an organization, have bought or purchased the wrong, wrong. Yeah, we thing. and we haven't evolved with what we with the knowledge, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, 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 so you're not teaching magic tricks and you're not teaching witchcraft and and all that in this stuff we're actually using uh science-based evidence-based um uh, information to drive our tactics right right Uh, in spite of what everybody thinks and and uh and so is this new information more dangerous no, and crazy enough, it's not even new information. Well, I yeah, mean, fact, yeah. I, if you want to go back and look at this, uh, Steve Kerber and um, uh, L.A. County Fire, yep. um, uh, totally brain brain fire. Derek Alconis, Derek Alconis yeah. right? Started this weekend firefighter thing in like 2012, 2011 or 12. Mm-hmm. You can even get on YouTube and look at weekend firefighter, and it comes up. Yeah. Right. Yep. So this information is not new. And, and to coin the term modern fire, that's not even correct, right? Fire's been the same since the caveman found it, yeah. right? It, it, it's, it's hot, and hot gas rises, and gas expands, and it moves from high pressure to low pressure. I mean, it's always been the same. Physics are physics. Physics are physics, but what we, under, what we have to understand is the, the fire environment is more modern, right? We're not talking about those legacy fuels anymore. We're talking about, you know— petroleum products and, and products that are designed to shed water. I have a couple kids. They're all older now, but not nearly as many spills. But back then, you know, I, I would shop for furniture and put some type of Scotch guard on them so they would repel water, right? My Ikea table at home is designed to repel water. So there are some things with, you know, that, that we can do to make that increase the surface tension. There's some nozzle work that, you know, is better now with the understanding of that, that gas surface interface. There's a lot of training that has been out there, um, and we lost sight of it. it uh, if you, <laughs> my friend Ben Schultz told me, he goes, you want to learn something new, open an old book. 
right? Because if you look at some of these things, uh, even you can go on YouTube and look up 1940s, uh, a series called The Nozzleman, right, by Akron Brass. Oh, yeah. Right? And, and these firefighters are pre-SCBA, and they're using tactics because they understood fire behavior and flow path and neutral plane and what that was, right? And, and they did have the PPE to protect them right. and, and all those things that we, we have now. We're talking leather co- coats and day boots, yeah. you know, and, and pre-SCBA and all of a sudden we get this better equipment and we've evolved it as a, a fire agencies and we have 50% less fires and we're killing 60% more firefighters because we're, we're it's that normalization of deviance where we're st- stopping to understand fire behavior and and the science that goes with it and we can get in faster and deeper and get hotter and not understand what's happening around us because our equipment allows us to. I think that also ruined our search culture, right? Um, Why? So that um, we tend to be able to walk into fires with our SCBA and our turnouts and withstand uh, an extreme level of heat, right? Um, with it, like 500 degrees of heat, and when and when it's smoky and dark, we don't have to stay low anymore. Like like in the historic uh, historical firefighting, um, we could stand up and walk. And when it's dark and scary, you know, a company came out and said, "Hey, check this out. We got a thermal imaging camera." And you know, we don't understand the difference of those tools, right? The the distance to spot ratio. What am I looking at? You know, hot or cold. And then, but we get it gave us this camera so we can stand up and walk through the, these houses and not and still not understand the, the fire behavior. And since we're safe and we don't feel the heat and we don't understand the dangers of that victim that's trapped in the back room with an unprotected respiratory t- track and unprotected skin, we change, we tend not to change that fire environment fast enough. So, I always say, if you don't think you should be changing this fire environment, either through water application, because that gas cooling will give you lift and lift that off the victims potentially, you know, you can use multiple streams, you just have to have good nozzle tactics, um, or coordinated ventilation through fire attack, then take your mask off, right? Take your jacket off, because if you're not willing to do that as a firefighter, then you're saying it's okay for that civilian with an unprotected respiratory tract and skin, right? So if you're not willing to take your stuff off, then you should be aggressively changing that environment through water application or coordinated fire attack, right? It's not just walking through heat or smoke anymore. We're long past the days of we don't squirt water on, on hot gas, right? Just because we can doesn't make it right. So it's affected our search culture. I've had uh, chiefs tell me we don't VES. I'm like, okay, well, we've done it since I got hired. We just called it a 35-foot ladder stand with a victim removal, right? Yeah. You know, and... Um, VES is vent to enter search, or VEIS, vent to enter isolate, isolate search, search right. for anybody who's... Hipster. Yeah, yeah may not know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> give an example of it, right. so... Yeah, so Chris, give an example. Uh, actually, we just used it the other day on, on a fire. I was proud of my crews, and I'm going to name drop. His name is Langdon Alexander and, and Brian Sockrider. They had uh, two victims jump out of the window prior to the, their arrival, uh, mom and a three-year-old baby. Thought there was more people inside. Baby they, jumped out? That's impressive. So mom threw baby out first, yeah. It's <laughs> an athletic kid. Yeah. Baby threw mom <laughs> out. Yeah, <laughs> baby might have threw mom out, yeah. So, um, and, and they made a decision to, to let somebody else take that alpha side um, fire attack, and they went in through the window. Even though there was some hot gas coming out of that window and some flames, 
Um, they transitioned it real quick and went in and, and did a vent in our search uh, in, into that window. Um, ideally, you would like to shut that bedroom door to stop any products like combustion coming in. Then as the gas leaves, it clears up for your search. Um, but if you can't, you know, there's, there's other ways to isolate that door. But it is a quick, rapid search of, of, a, of a fire environment or a, a searchable space. I hate survivable space because that's up to God, right? And, and even volume two, and I don't think we take it seriously enough, it says we will search any um, our involved and exposed areas, right? Mm-hmm. It, we will search or enter any expo- or f- involved and exposed areas. And it doesn't tell us how, right? So um, there's been no deaths to date for VES, but we just lost five in a standard search. So are we going to stop doing well, that? And a, standard, that? and a standard fire attack. And a standard fire attack, right? Yep. So uh, the, the job is inherently dangerous. We have to educate our people on, on why and, and when these tactics are appropriate, right? So... Um, and then the other one is, is like I said, mentioned before, is fast water application. You know, there, there's typically, a, a, I think it's a, I, I honestly don't know where it came from, but for, and maybe it's just the interpretation of volume two, and I don't think it was, that's the me- meant to be interpreted like that, or, but uh, it said that any indication of a, a working fire, you should lay a supply line, right? And it gives three exceptions. Well, there's more than that, right? There's more exceptions than that. Um, and we, we just had a fire the other day and we couldn't get a plug. They were all 800 feet away in each direction and obscured, but I had a first alarm on scene with, at my count, that's about 4,000 gallons of water and everybody's standing around doing nothing, waiting for a plug, right? That's not okay. If, if that's our mindset, not to run out of water on these units, when we have 500 gallons on every engine, then let's stop putting water on fire engines. Right, because we come with water, we can use that appropriately. I can I could bucket brigade that with fire engines, and still make a better fire attack than standing around waiting for somebody to bring in a plug. Right, right. So, um, so I think there's a couple little things that that we regionally need to just evaluate and talk about, and we really need to get back into the the mindset of we're here for the civilians we swore to protect. Yeah, this job is dangerous, but if we go back to our fundamental risk management plan, that's in it, right? Um, So I think think we really need to get back to that. And maybe it's our mission statement. I'm redoing my presentation for Copper State Fire Conference here and talk about mission statements that I've heard and um, Colony, Texas, all the back of their fire trucks that say, we will come for you. Right. Simple as that. Um, over Anchorage, Alaska, it says, I am not here for me. I am here for we, and we are there for them. Right. So it, everything that these organizations are based, it, it's about, we're coming for you. This is, this is your expect expectation of us. Right. And expected situations have to have expectations and the, their expectation is that we are going to rescue them, and it doesn't matter if we have a smooth bore or fog. It doesn't matter if we VES or, or uh, do an oriented search. It doesn't matter to them. It matters to them that we're good at our job. And uh, I stole this from Brian Brush, but being our best is their best chance, right? 
and, and it's not just about a, a, an SOP saying that we can. It's about our training that allows us to work in those guidelines. That, and, and there's multiple different ways to do that. And I think a lot of us have lost, lost sight of that. Um, but uh, so anyways, that goes Why back to those. Why do you think we lost sight of it? I don't, I don't honestly don't know. Um, Complacency I, or just. Well, the, I, 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 I think there's a bunch to it. Yeah. I think there's. At high levels, there's the distractions of everything that uh, is expected or they, they believe is expected from them from city government, right? If, you, if you're, we're talking about a municipal fire department, right? right? They, they're trying to pay attention to what elected officials and city managers and all those people want or believe that they want out of the fire department. So they, they lose connection with the work they lose connection with the service delivery to the community. They learn. They lose connection uh, with with the, our core mission, so to speak. So um, there's a challenge there for them. And some fire chiefs have figured it out, and some fire chiefs absolutely have not figured it out. Um, and there's other things that matter in fire departments. There is no doubt about it. And there is there, there are there are plenty of other services that that we deliver that we need to pay attention to and be good at. But that we can't do that at the expense of our core mission, which I, I can say for us is our, our uniforms still say fire department. Yeah. It doesn't say fire medical. It doesn't say anything else. It says right. the fire department. And we sure as hell sure need to be good at the fire side. We we need to be good at other things, but we sure as hell should be good at the fire side. So um, uh, I want to go back to something you said and, and, and a question you asked about why has the search culture or ideas or thoughts changed? Um, I think firefighters may have actually, because of our PPE, because of a lot of things that we're capable of doing, we actually lost empathy for victims. How many of us actually have had, have had you know, personal connection to loss, you know, loss of life in a fire? Not many. It doesn't happen a ton in our communities, at least in the valley. So we don't have, uh, we may or may not have a, a, a personal connection to it. And then when we put our, our costume on, so to speak, and we operate in the in the in those environments, and it doesn't bother us, and we're comfortable, we're we we there's an opportunity there for human beings to lose the empathy for the possible victim, the people that we're there to actually take care of, yeah. and so in. And when we lose that, not inadvertently, or I mean, not 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 purposefully, it is in, inadvertent, and uh, and it's just it's a loss of focus, it's a loss of paying attention, and it's um, uh, there's leadership challenges that go that that create it also. So it it uh, there needs to be a diligent, conscious effort to re re remember why we're here and what the core mission is of that, and that it is not mutually exclusive with being safe on the fire ground. Yeah, no, known rescue is is kind of a weird fallacy. That's this morning we we talked about our structure fire this morning, in, in a in a vacant office building that that they had a, a, a rescue in, um, and it it it's not a known rescue, right? They didn't have to go in, and I I we need our culture to change. As a, a instead of a, a full pendulum swing as a culture to safety, it needs to be a culture of suppression. And uh, Ray McCormick said that from FDNY, like we need to change it. The age and, of extinguishment. Yeah, and then and you know Andy Fredericks from, again from FDNY, he he said you know we need to expect a victim or a fire every shift and a victim every fire, and and that's the culture we need to to extend here, not 
you know, not, oh, there's a known rescue, so I'm going to do this. Well, there's no known rescue today, and we saved a guy's life, right? And, and I would say that probably happens, you know, more often than not. Um, I think the rescue survey is proving that fact, right? The firefighter so rescue survey. We just need, we need to get that out of our vocabulary, get that out of our SOPs, and we need to expect to fire every shift, expect a victim every fire, period. And, um, it, you know, just need to, to change our culture and realize that we're, we're public servants and we're, we're here for them. And that's what started me on the training journey and that grassroots thing that started this conversation, right? Yep, right. So, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, so I, I, I'm on a little bit of a, a mission right now to, to figure out how, at least regionally, locally, whatever, to better connect what's happening at the grassroots and to recognize what's happening at the grassroots level, to respect what's happening at the grassroots level and integrating that into our expectations and, and what's going on because they, they're not in competition with what our mission is. They're not in competition with safety. They're not in competition in, with survival, right, for of firefighters. And so there needs to be a better reliance and and whether a department is resourced or they have the mindset to be able to do this stuff and train on this stuff um, is is really the question. And and they're filling a need. Aaron Fields filled a need. Yes. And uh, Brian Brush has filled a need. Co- Cody uh, in Portland has filled a need. Yep. And, um, and 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 I'm and I'm missing many others, and I don't mean to, but. Um, uh, that's because organizations haven't been uh, uh, been able to deliver. Right. So there's got to be a way to connect what they're doing and what organizations are doing and, and allow them to, to work together to, to improve our performance. Yep. Uh, it's a it's a pretty pretty interesting challenge. And I think we're going to do that in, in this copper state with, with the command stuff you're doing. And, I, and the reason why I selected those key players is because Aaron's stuff at a task level, uh, with interior and exterior water application, uh, the explanation of moving and flowing or hitting and moving through structures is fantastic, right? Uh, it's a very task-level, very task-oriented class. 20 hours of pulling hose, uh, and, and I'm just going to say, you know, you know, fuck is the most diverse word in yes. the English language, right? That one's for <laughs> you. Word. And, and, and it's also, it's also an acronym, right? And it's an, it's an acronym for us saying, Hey, we should be at the front door under a minute charged and kink free. Right. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's kind of the way we, we look at that. Right. And so I picked Aaron's class because he was interme- instrumental in a, my career with, with some of his stuff and, and B, it's very task oriented. Hey, let's get the the line to the door, right? It's it's rigged to objective, objective to seed, right? And the exponential engine is oh, all of that as well, but it's it's tactical, right? It, it it takes you from the tactical mindset of when the parking brake sits, and not only for a company officer's point of view. But it makes your firefighters think tactically and go, which line do I need to pull? Where do I need to pull it in regards to, to flow path or, or best placement for firefighter and, and victim rescue? And then it breaks down the, the task to do that with every weapon on your fire truck. What do you right? think training is so fucking hard to accomplish in, a, in, in one art department or two just in general? It's like ever since I've joined the fire service, like I come from a different background, obviously, and it's like, 
to, to block out an hour or two hours or, or to go out of service for that time or whatever. It just seems like it's always a, um, a, a difficult thing to accomplish. And then on top of that, like, and since I've been on the job, like, it, training's not consistent. Like, some years you might have, you know, mi- minimum company standards. Like, some years you don't. Sometimes you're this. Like, sometimes it's every quarter. Sometimes it's not every quarter. It's like, why do you think it's such a fucking, it, it's crazy to me that it's such a, a daunting task to have something regularly scheduled and, and, and crews held accountable and stuff like that. Cause I know in any other arena I've ever been in, like you drill the same shit over and over and over because you want it to become muscle memory. So when you have to do it, it's not a big deal. That starts at a regional, at a regional entry level stuff. I mean, all of our academies are, are, were, are, well, I'll just say are, are teaching different stuff, right? Even though now that we're all trending towards that nozzle forward stuff, uh, the, the East Valley has probably been doing it since 2016, right? So Aaron's been out here four times now, but now all of our regional academies are on board. But we tend to pick... At different and, levels. Right. So we tend to pick and choose what's important to our training organizations too. Like, hey, I'm going to teach you how to clamp and clamp slide, which is a hit and move. But I might not be good enough as an RTO to teach you how to move and flow. So I'm going to leave that out. But at the academy before that were really good at both. So I've got guys six months apart in different academies that know completely different skill set. Right. And, and that's coming out of my regional academy. And that's you know, so, Well, so what he's saying is something yeah. really important here is we have we, the fire service and our local fire service has chosen to make it opinion based and that we've chosen to make it individual-based. So the changes you're seeing is based on, at least in our department, is changes on who's in charge. Gotcha. Ours too. Yep. And so we, uh, where, where I, the military is mission-based, mm-hmm. it's core-based, and it's system-based. It's infinite. This is, yeah, right. It's it, not finite. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, and we have to, we've got to get past that. So we can't op- we can't operate and function on the individual base. It's got it's important because it's important to the mission. It's in and there's uh, uh well uh, the, from 2016 to 2020 we had we had a, 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 an executive in charge of the country that uh, uh believed in alternative facts. Well, we have alternative facts in the fire service and it's complete and utter bullshit. And, and there are things that are fundamental to our core mission to taking care of the public. And there's a lot of thing, really important stuff that influences it and research and all those things these days that, are, that matter. But we, we, we have, uh, uh, we're arguing about whether, whether we should lay lines or not. We're arguing about whether fast water matters or not. And, and you're like, no, it doesn't fucking, you're missing the point. I, I can tell you it, it, it matters to them it matters to the civilian that's sure, trapped yeah. inside right yeah. and, and that's what do does our mission statement in 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 phoenix and mesa and chandler does our mission statement match their expectations right right and that's what it boils down to is is we need to figure that part out so and i get like at the academy level like you're gonna get training no matter what and like that might differ like that but i'm talking about like once you're off probation like once you're out there like some crews may not ever do any training for a whole year because one, it's not important to them. Shame on their bosses. Yeah. Two, you know, they're not actually pushing that or, 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 or like, or three, like, cause there's been times I'm like, Hey, I want to go do this. No, sorry. You can't go out of service. It's like, why can't I? I'm in a fucking slow station. 
to do stuff. We don't have anything going on, but I can't go out of, you know, to go do this. And I've had older crews, guys with 20 plus years on that want to go learn stuff that we've gone out and do stuff. But I'm like, it, it's just always been baffling to me. Like, why isn't Tuesdays, every Tuesday, like of that, like that we can go out and you can take your crew out and train them for two or three hours or go walk a boat and stuff like that. It's like, it's never, ever standardized. It's always like, well, this captain does it or this captain doesn't do it or this crew wants to do it. Like, why don't we have a standardized thing where you, where we do that stuff. I don't management know. through no is very finite. Uh, management through I'm going to figure out how to say yes or you know when what the right opportunity is for that company to go do whatever they want or need to do right. uh, matters, right? And that's that's a leadership. That's a 100% a leadership. That's a top-down problem. That's all of that. So I, there was a quote that I that I came across, and and I think Garrison might have even given it to me. Uh, was uh, the, for the topic that we're talking about. Uh, uh, for those that understand, no explanation is necessary. For those that don't, no explanation will suffice. Yeah. And so that's that's what we're talking about here with regards to you know operations and and, and core mission and matters and 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 what we need to be training to. Right. So in, I, I know it's interesting in our system, we have uh, developed this disconnect between the can't command system and the task and tactical level operations. And, um, uh, and we don't, number one, we're not, the, the training is not, uh, we're not running in parallel to one another and they're not connected in any, any way. And the command level doesn't necessarily appreciate what the task and tactical level is doing. And, and that has developed into the task and tactical level, not necessarily giving a shit what the command level is doing. <laughs> and that's a problem, right? That's a huge problem. And, and, and it's a leadership issue again, uh, but, but it can be resolved. It can be improved. It can be um, uh, brought together so that we're all refocused on the mission or the, the, the core fundamentals. Right. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I, I'm hoping that we get a chance to get some of the Valley Command officers. And I, I know uh, some people have already reached out uh, to come to come join us in some of these conversations. And I know Mike Alt, formerly from UL, but with Prince George's County, is going to come out. Uh, and I'm bringing Dennis Laguerre out a day early so we can talk about some of that stuff as well. Uh, and just try to bridge that gap between what we're training and, and the command officer's uh, um, perspective of that and you know technically unless we're a forward bc we might not we shouldn't probably dabble in that tactical and tact right that's mm. our captain's job yep uh, but i see i see people doing that and i don't know if it's because they're uncomfortable or trying to get those you know highly motivated or those one percenters that are are, are dialed in like hey i, I got to tell them what line to pull because i don't want them to, to do something crazy well, that's, that's not okay. You know, they're the ones going inside. They pull the line they're comfortable with, and then what's going to protect them the most. And, and I let them make that decision. But it's going to be an educated decision, and, and risk is managed by competence. You know, and, and the, the trust between the BC and their captains are, is relationships, and relationships are stronger than the chain of command. And so you as a, a BC, as a leader or, or captain to captain, if you're, if you're working on crews or training together, those relationships are out, going to outweigh that strategic decision if, if they're those one percent. If they're suspect. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. for sure. And then you're going to get, you know, that, that line is going to be crossed between freelancing and forecasting. So, 
and, and that's on us, right? We need to take a good, hard look in the mirror as some se- senior officers, some senior firefighters, and say, hey, how can I educate myself a little better here? And, and telling these guys that they're dangerous or doing crazy stuff from a recliner is suspect, right? So get out there and join From them a recliner and, or the front seat of a little red pickup. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. I guess to put it more bluntly, like if, if you're on South Deputy for the day and we get something and, 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 and I'm the first and captain there and you're telling me things and we're talking through things over the radio and you give me a command to go do something, I'm not even going to probably think twice about what, like, like, like what you've told me due to the fact that like, I know you're confident you care about us. You want us to go home. You've shown it year after year after year. Whereas a new guy that's maybe only been a captain for a year and, and like has somehow slid into the BC thing. Like when that guy tells me something that has no clue of kind of what's going on, maybe he's never even been first on scene to a fire as a captain. I'm like, that's not a good thing for me. And that's there's there's a there, there's a huge disconnect with that. I'm like, those guys won't necessarily even maybe go out and become better or actually acknowledge the fact that like, hey, look, I know I was only a captain for a year. I don't know everything. So I'm going to rely on you guys to kind of help me out like through these things. They want to. And I've heard some weird shit like, hey, you, you're you're six inches off the further off the curb than you should be. I'm like, somebody actually like a chief or a fit actually actually told you that. Is that on the radio? <laughs> no, this is like oh, in person. Like, yeah, I, I was like, are yeah. you kidding me? I'm like. Who gives a shit? That is not their job to tell you that you, they, you parked six inches off there. Like, it's just, it's crazy to me. But I don't know how 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 you kind of overcome that training stuff. Because one, you know, we're talking about task and like in tactical. But how do you overcome that that lack of experience or incompetence when they've, get, when they've gotten to that position? Well, you, you know, so just systemically, uh, if you look at the health, organizational health, or, or the health of function or how, how, how well an organization is doing, uh, you know, to use, put it in paramedic terms, right before seizure, coma, death, it, the, is uh, um, uh, drastic micromanagement. And talking about six inches off the curb is drastic micromanagement. Right. And when, when that is, uh, uh, you know, throughout an organization and throughout the leadership of the organization, that we're 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 going to start shaking any minute because the seizure's coming. Right. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. And so, so your question is: is how do we deal with that? There has to be organizational value in um, promoting and appreciating and respecting uh, knowledge, experience, and and doing the work. And if if you know. The FDNY is a million miles from perfect, just like most every other fire department. But what I appreciate the most about them is they promote through their organization with experience, outcomes, training, and relationships being a really, really critical part of their process. Right. And, uh, and, and I'm sure there's people that slip through the cracks. I mean, for crying out loud, they have 14,000 firefighters. But, mm-hmm. but their officers are typically becoming officers because they're good at being firefighters and then they understand how to be an officer. 
their 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 lieutenants and captains that are becoming battalion chiefs because they were really good lieutenants and captains and they understood how to manage and work and train and do all those things. And then those battalion chiefs are going on up into uh, other leadership roles. When when you look at the, the so the, when they recently promoted their new uh, uh, chief of operations, when you read that cat's pedigree, <laughs> yeah. you're like, Jesus, well, yeah. okay, like, yeah, yeah, okay. He, he's, he's, I know yeah. why they picked you, <laughs> yeah. right? Seventeen <laughs> years as assistant operations, yeah, <laughs> and it's like Jesus, yeah. yeah, and so we for many reasons our systems grow, have been growing fast and attrition and 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 you know whatever whatever excuse or issue we can lay over it um we still haven't we still haven't given we still haven't valued the work and we still haven't valued what is important to the work to to make that i'm not putting down anybody who's in in any of these positions but there's a fantastic quote in in command safety that bruno wrote is um there isn't there isn't any firefighter worth their salt out there that would be willing to work for a 25-year-old MBA graduate as an incident commander because they got really, really good grades. Right. Yeah. And then, and then anybody who's willing to accept that job, not having the experience and not having the background, um, is is purely dangerous. Right. And 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 we found ourselves in that situation in a, in a lot of different places across the U.S. and and locally. So. Um, uh, until we readjust that, we're going to continue doing the same, uh, when we, but when, if we can, if we can over time, you know, focus, uh, um, and value, uh, on the work value on risk value on, uh, our job for the community, then we, then we will improve. Right. It, you know, it's, it's funny you, you say that too, because. The last BC test, I was I, I figured I was going to come out third, right? Or, organizationally, the the two people that tested uh, with me are are were superior to the organization. Derek Williams was awesome. He's he's fan. He's a fantastic BC. He's very tactically oriented. He spent a time on he spent time on days, time on the alarm room, time as as fit or BSO. Uh, Michelle Denton. She got promoted. She is an excellent project manager, right? And she ran the COVID pods and stuff like that. And and going up against those two, I'm like, well, organizationally, I'd do the same thing as the fire chief did, right? Yep. Hey, he's got because I'm the odd one out here, right? Because I have never spent time in administration. I've never spent any time as fit or BSO. I literally moved right from the right seat of engine two ten to the right seat of a battalion chief temp for the last. Yeah, it'll be a year in a, in a couple weeks. So who's counting, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm like, well, as soon as, as soon as my year's up, I, I retest, but you know, I, I only have that tactics to offer and I understand how a firehouse operates because I have never left, you know? Um, so, and, and organizationally that's not an asset, right? Because I can see why those other two people can, are a better fit for the organization. So, uh, but for the guys, they're like, Hey, we need people like you that understand these and, and that trust has never gone away. Right? It's a horrible yeah. mistake to undervalue that. So we're, we're, we're in the mud and in the trenches together all the time. And, you know, for us to communicate like that. And, you know, yesterday I told my, my captain on the ladder, I was like, man, I, I don't like it. I don't feel good about it. He goes, yeah, chief, I'm not going up. So I'm like, okay, perfect. You know, it's just kind of one of those things where we we're building those relationships and that trust as it goes um, 
But I understand both pieces of that. The guys want, you know, X and, and tactically competent. And, hey, just like you said, right, I'm going to trust Chief Stewart because he's been there and he cares about us. Mm-hmm. Right. That's huge. Mm-hmm. I, he, you know, he cares about you and is not going to do certain things, you know, just to please the organization. Yep. And that's the relationships you need to have with your crews to not have personnel issues and to have them know what your expectations are of training and, and being on the top of your game and developing that relationship there's, so there's no freelancing or mistakes on the fire ground, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it translates to that. So let's talk specific because uh, so we, 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 we glossed over fire, uh, Copper State Fire Conference. So uh, at the end of March uh, 25th, 26th, 27th? Yes, sir. Uh, is the Copper State Fire Conference. Uh, it's being hosted by at the New Gilbert uh, Fire Academy yes, uh, in Gilbert, Arizona. And so, what exactly is going on? So, Friday, uh, we got a couple things going on. Friday and Saturday is going to be the nozzle forward. Um, he's already sold out twice. So I, I, I sold. He sold out, and I called him up and said, "Aaron, you're you're already sold out. We're good to go." He goes, "Hey, Chris, add ten more." And he goes, "You know the resources we need." And I'm like, "You sure, buddy?" And he's like, "Yes." Uh, and Aaron and I have good conversation and a good rapport. You know, we both look forward to retirement and spending some time on the ocean and doing some paddling and, and stuff like that. So he, he did me a solid. He's like, hey, open 10 more spots and, and let's get that. He knowledge saw out the there. need, right? Yep. Yep. He did. And then, you know, that that day we're also doing the command part of that. You're, you're going to do um, the, the command safety and, and try to bridge that gap between some of the stuff. So that's what's going on on Friday. Um, and then r- immediately following that is going to be Dennis Laguerre talking about um, pump operations, why no gated why, why we should start looking at hose and nozzle packages and doing some stuff from hydrants to nozzles. So let's talk a little so, bit about Dennis because Dennis is a, a – we obviously know and understand who and what Dennis is. Right. Right. Uh, but yeah. I don't know how many people in the Valley necessarily know. So – Give us give a little bit of a background Backgrounds for Dennis. For yeah. Dennis. So um, it, Dennis is a retired Oakland firefighter. He went out on, on a, a, a back injury a, a while ago. And then he started developing and becoming instrumental in hose construction and, and nozzle pairing. And he took, he took that understanding to a whole new level, like changing the internal diameter of hose. Because right now, an inch and three quarter is not an inch and three quarter. My inch and three quarters, 1.91, right? The new one we just bought is 1.88. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like a big deal, but that changes a lot of the water weight in the hose, and it changes a lot of fire or dynamics for the, the nozzle person. So Dennis has been instrumental in the agency across, well, now internationally, yes. you know, talking about these different things uh, and, and why we should move forward with, with uh, this knowledge. Right. And uh, so I teamed him up with Jerry Herps to also he does the, a lot of the brass tacks, hard facts for mm-hmm. Elkhart. And he usually does a know your flow. So we're going to hook up hoses to flow meters with different nozzles. And we're going to talk about why why we have a misunderstanding of an automatic fog. And then we're going to hook it up to every standpipe valve that we can find in the valley. I have them all on a prop. And we're going to talk about high rise and what we're capable of doing in this valley for, you know, the center hallway fires like in, in New York. You know, the, the row houses where, where we don't have a lot of these, but we definitely have the potential for a lot of these here in the valley. They're building more. So, 
we're you know we're as we as we get into that we're going to talk about the methods of fire attack and the progression in that pump operator class because if they can't pump it then then um we're not going to get there right so we i think there's always been this statement that i've heard since i was an engineer on on high rise mid rise oh you need to hook up this unit and i think we have this uh, i don't even want to call it a ridiculous policy but so scratch that the new high-rise policy saying the second engine should support the system on a, on a high-rise, that's just flat-out wrong, right? If this actually has a system and it's operational, there's no reason to waste that manpower to support that system, right? Because we don't support the system. It's either us or them, right? The fire pump takes that over, and unless it fails, our engine is doing absolutely nothing. We're not supporting anything. We're merely a backup line, Right? So I, I think there's a fund fundamental misunderstanding of NFPA 13E. What are flow? Um, that's the that's the NFPA standard uh, over uh, stand rise. pipes yep, and high stand rise. Yeah, pipes right? and high rise. Yeah. So and it's not NFPA 14, which is the installation of. It is actually firefighting recommendations. Yeah, the operation of. Right. Yeah. And I think we don't understand, you know, what is a pressure reducing valve? What is a pressure restricting device? Where are these located? Are they firefighter adjustable? Are they field adjustable? Why did the NFPA pre-1993 say our, our minimum flows were 65 and our maximum were 100, but post-93 we changed it from a minimum of 100 to a maximum of 175? Well, for those valve makers, that, that sweet spot is 100. Right. They meet both NFPA standards. But if we hook up an inch and three quarter with the fog to that, are we going to kill our guys? Right. Are we are, do we need more pressure because we're using a 75 pound nozzle with friction loss and, and we're not going to have any water pressure regardless of what we do. So that systems to streams class for our pump operators is going to be outstanding and extremely eye opening for the valley with uh, combined with Dennis Laguerre. And I, and I did them both so you could pick one or the other or take them both for the same exact price. So Yeah, and 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 between those two, you know, Dennis uh, Dennis is pretty incredible walking encyclopedia of those types of things. He can make your eyes cross and you drool with the with <laughs> the, the stuff that he can actually throw at you. Right. And I mean that in the most complimentary way. Right. Um but 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 he's very clear on what the fundamentals are and what what we actually need. He understands uh, extinguishment uh, as good or better than he understands hydraulics, which right. is incredibly important. Right. He he taught me when we were out to, out together. I think in Portland, and we were pulling some lines together, and he's like, "Hey, your nozzle pattern in a commercial fire should look like this, Chris, not like this." You know, and, and it's not wall ceiling wall floor like the nozzle forward teaches you when you're in a big box fire. It's this, and. and that leads me to the second class, which is the exponential engine, yep. right? So we're going to talk about not only those residential firefights and build off where Aaron, where Aaron left off some of these techniques. We're going to build on that tactical aspect of this and what we should be doing. So, um, and of course, the nozzle forward, which, it, I mean, that I can't say enough about that class. Like, sure. it, it truly, it, it'll truly raise your task level interior firefighting skills, um, you know, tenfold. So just the way we move, there's no more crawling. And then the, the problem with us is, oh, I'm, not, I'm never going to clamp slide. Well, you might never have to, but you never have to ho hold the hose again, right? So I remember a guy from Glendale, Dan LaFond, took my class with another guy, and 
I'll be kind of short here because no, no, okay. you're, you're good. You got um, plenty of time. Dan Lafond and um, Dave Colson took my class, and Dave taught with me at last uh, State Fire School. But he says, "Chris, can I tell you something?" I said, "Sure." And he goes, "On your way, on my way with Dan to your first class in State Fire School." And I think he has 14 or 15 years on the job. And uh, he says, I looked at Dan and said, Chris, I'm as open-minded as the next guy. He goes, but I think I'm about to waste three days of my life. And he, showed, <laughs> and he showed up to the class and he said, Chris, in about a half an hour into your class, I was wondering what the hell I did with the last 14 years of my career. Yeah. And, and, that, and crazy enough, it's not the first time I, I've heard it. Yeah. Which, but it's a huge compliment. I think right? we've all had that moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, uh, it, I mean, it, it was pretty cool to, to watch some of this change in the valley. And, you know, if you, it's a buffet, right? Take what's good for you and your organization and everything else and, and take, Take that and leave what you what doesn't fit your organization, right? Yep. And, and Aaron's class is just that. Don't sure it's a puzzle and, and it's a complete puzzle. He teaches you every piece of a system. It's almost impossible for our organizations to take that and teach our huge organizations the entire system. So pick the part of the system that works best for you, but teach it correctly with all of the the principles correct. Don't change it. Don't change the terminology. We didn't invent it, right? So keep it as pure as you can. Give Aaron credit, right? And and teach these pieces of the puzzle right. The devil's in the details. And when, when you teach the piece of the puzzle, then it allows us to build on it. But if we continue to teach these pieces half-ass, it's always a little crooked, and we're never allowed to build on this, and the puzzle's never going to be complete. So whatever we choose regionally we should choose to to pick as close to perfection as we can get with these pieces so we can build on them in company and battalion level training later but if we continue to do it half assed then we're, then we're stopped have we ever so, been 100% in line regionally like everyone's teaching the same thing all the time no not that as far as i can no, remember yeah. i don't think yeah. so we i mean i think we have a training version of the rock don't we to where everybody should get together and have we a do. packet and say these are our fundamentals right you well know? so what they've done because it was a part of that process is they've we've scheduled uh shared schedules we've sk- shared you know priorities we've shared you know those types of things but how it gets delivered and the manner in which it gets delivered who delivers it very much different, very diverse. Not always bad, right? Yeah. But uh, but 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 different, right? Gotcha. And, and 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 there probably will always have a certain layer of that. But um, we're not we're not talking to each other in the manner in which we should to be able to to. Uh, we don't believe, you know, yeah. in the same things across the, the the region, and then we teach things differently based on uh, what what we believe or what we. That goes back to your opinion and not mission, right? It's yeah. individual, mm-hmm. not mission, or yep. it, it's it's uh, finite and and yeah, not, yeah, not, thousand percent, yep, yeah. not exponential or whatever, yep. infinite, so, yeah, infinite, yep. Um, so that's Friday and and Saturday, and then uh, Sunday we're gonna do the exponential engine for the guys that are are you know if they if they didn't get in the nozzle forward the exponential engine is gonna be great. Yep. Uh, if they take both, it's gonna be long and you're gonna be sore. Right, which is, which is fine too. You're going to put in a lot of sweat equity, and there's going to be a, a lot of smiles, you know. So that's thirty great. hours yeah. of hose pulling. Yeah, uh, you probably haven't done it since the academy. Right, no. or even yeah. even then. Yeah, right? right. So, 
Um, so we're so we're gonna do that with the exponential engine, and of course I'm bringing Mike out with with UL, yep. uh, uh, formerly with UL, and he's gonna do backstep fire behavior, and he's gonna talk about the three most you know recent studies and how us old guys didn't do it wrong, right? How when when we grew up, you know, we we had legacy furnitures and vertical ventilation worked fantastic. We weren't wrong, right? So, you know, we got we to gotta bridge that gap, too, and cater to those egos because we were right then. But contrary to what we just said, the fire service has changed, right? The tools have changed. The equipment changed. Our nozzles have changed. Our knowledge base has changed on almost every, every front of the fire service, right? So I, I think we just need to open some eyes and, and move forward. So I'm hoping that UL class will be able to – continue the bridge of the gap in, in that part i text adam st john he's an atf uh, uh fire protection engineer yesterday and i asked him if he would be willing to come out and he said that atf has kind of limited his travel right now um i said well keep me in mind you know i'll fly you out last minute and i'll put you right behind um mike alt mm-hmm. so I, i'm hoping that happens my fingers are crossed but uh i, I don't think it will um and then uh, I'd love to have Ray McCormick out. I'm trying to figure out how to get him out from FDNY. So yeah, tell, he, him, it's, he, tell him it's really nice here in March. Well, he wants to come. Yeah. It's just a matter of uh, you know to fill it, fill that void. Yeah. So no, I totally get it. I need to call him today. So so the command officer stuff. I'll just say is we the so I I'm not aware of uh, any command officer conversations that are having at these. I'll call them grassroots, and I mean that you know uh, very complimentarily. Um, so hopefully we can have, and we get decent participation with command officers trying to understand, uh, what's going on and what, what it is we need to yeah. know, what we need to pay attention to. They can actually walk around and watch what's going on out on yeah. the grinder with, with Aaron and, and his class, and then have a conversation about, uh, that it's not mutually exclusive. Right. Um, I, I had sent a, a note to the, to the UL team and, uh, Steve Kerber was nice enough. He sent me back his his uh, PhD uh, thesis, his doctoral thesis, and he actually wrote about this, and and he f- in fact used you know our old fire chief as a as a reference point in some of it. So yeah, so I've got some pretty interesting material to draw from besides our own experiences, and ho- hopefully it's a worthwhile conversation. Good, I like it. And so if I can back up, fire nuggets is uh, and I started talking about this with James Greenwood. Yeah, it. It, uh, it started in the 70s with a couple guys from uh, um, Berkeley, San Francisco, and we ended up purchasing it from them. From, and it wasn't a 501c3 back then. It was just merely newspapers. And they were going to retire, so they wanted some uh, you know, good experience to share with those people, and, and they shared um, Fire Nuggets as a newspaper. And so when we took it over, uh, Dave, Dave Sprague was the president for eight years. Um, he's my predecessor. He's the assistant chief in Berkeley right now. And, and the guy is amazing. Um, so I took over the, the – I was a board member since 2016, and I took over the presidency last year. So we're a 501c3 nonprofit. We're based out of Berkeley. We have affiliates kind of all over. Um, we our, – our logo, our, our slogan is kind of by firefighters for firefighters. Um, we bring in less than $5,000 a year. We don't have any big sponsors. Uh, which is unfortunate. Through COVID, it was really rough paying through the website and stuff. We did a lot of podcast and uh, webinars just mm-hmm. to keep it keep it afloat. And 
So anything, if anything, that we make from some of these events go right back in so we can host another event somewhere else. You um, mean this isn't a giant money maker? No. It's, it, it, in fact... Um, Big cash grab. Yeah, I don't. We know. Our, our floor safes over there. The, we'll give you yeah. a the Brinks truck yeah. shows up uh, at these deals. Yeah. No, and in, in fact, not only do I not get a paycheck from Fire Nuggets, none of us do. Um, I don't even charge an instructor fee for the class just to get the information out. Right. Uh, Mike Alt's coming out, you know, for travel only, and I said, Mike, I'm going to fill your class because I think the word's more important than the money, and, and I think people need to understand what Fire Nuggets is all about. And I and I said this before. Uh, Chris Bloom, he used to work in Tucson. Now he's, I think, in uh, like Meridian in, in Idaho. Uh, he wrote an article about fire service branding. And that th- he said that as Nike, is, the swish is to Nike and the Apple is to Apple, the Maltese Cross is a trusted brand. And I would argue, say, you know, the, the Maltese Cross is the most trusted brand in the United States, if not the world, right? And that's kind of what I want Fire Nuggets to be as far as grassroots is I want us to be able to give training to anybody who wants it in any volunteer department, in any big department across the country, and and us to be able to say, yes, we're going to bring out this instructor to keep you guys safe. And not just to keep you guys safe, but to keep your community safe like you swore you would and um, I had a friend of mine just look at the website, and she's like, uh, you guys need to mention that kind of on your stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, she's like, all it says is fire department training. And, um, it, you know, you should probably re- readdress that. And I'm like, arguably, we've done the most for the fire service across the country, you know, silently as far as, you know, putting instructors and stuff like that. And so Dave Sprague got some people from Berkeley, you know, because, we're, uh, again, we're not funded, and they, they did our website. <laughs> And really, our goal, our vision was to make it a fire department or fire training clearinghouse. So you could go to firenuggets.com and, and type in Dennis Laguerre, and it'll tell you how to get a hold of Dennis or any classes that are available in your area. Um, and we'll pay for it. You know, we, all we're trying to do is, is match up how much Dennis is going to charge us and how many butts can we fit in that seat. And we just want to break even. And that's been our sustainable order model since I can remember. We we don't have any funding for this, and um, so let me have we still do a little it. bit here because we're we got real specific on like teaching and stuff like that. So fire fire mm-hmm. nuggets is, is the overall arching five hundred one three C, whose goal is to perform or put on training for any fire department across the country that wants it for basically no cost. For no cost. For no cost. Fill right. those seats. And then underneath Fire Nuggets are these conferences like Copper State that you guys put on that you bring people out to learn whatever they need to learn for that weekend, right? Yes. Just okay. for, So, for example, you know, Aaron has a, a fee structure. And for for his nozzle forward class for three instructors, it's right around $6,000. Right. Right. And then um, that only sits, that's um, at a 12 to 15 to 1 ratio is what we like to keep that at for, for you know, safety and just for sheer knowledge. Okay. And then we got flights, hotels for the three instructors. And, and so it's going to cost you 9 or 10 grand. Right. Well, for, to ask Mesa Fire to, to take 9 or 10 grand out of one, one class is asking a lot, especially when we're not going to fill those With seats. limited exposure. Right. Oh, right. Yep. And, and so... We're, we we have staffing issues now, like everybody else, that we can't take these units out of service to fill it. So to ask an agency 
even our size to do that is very difficult. So where Fire Nuggets comes in and says, I'll pay for it. If you guys need it, I'll pay for it. And all I ask is to break even, right? right. So we'll fill this however we need to, but I just want to break even so when the next guy calls, I can help him too, gotcha. right? And, and so I need to get off my butt as, as president here and try to figure out some, some more funding um, because I'm pretty, you know, we're firefighters. We're not, we, we don't run nonprofits. We, our, our secretary and our um, finance guy, we're firefighters, you right. know, so um, we're I just think you know some guys that have some businesses and possibly have started some 501 that have been pretty successful that you could reach out it to. Maybe even in this, <laughs> maybe even in so this room I, or something. I, I, <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely need to talk to some people. And, and after I was talking to my friend and she was like, uh, your website needs to say something about your community and how many people you've trained across the country yeah, and how many. Sure. You know, stuff. He, she's like, you know, you would do yourself, you're doing yourself a disservice right now. And by the way, your website doesn't even have a donate button. I'm like, oh, okay. We, we, <laughs> we learn we the hard way, don't we? <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to work on that. Yeah. So, but, so, I, and so there was, uh, and the reason why I bring that up is because there's always some question about this. Uh, Slayer's doing this. He's making all kinds of money from this. And, and I'm not. I, I assure you. Um, That's why I'm being a smart ass about yeah. the Brinks truck no, and the money. I, and no, it, I get it. it, it that there, ain't what this is. There, there's we no paid you five grand today to show yeah. off. Yeah. Like, 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 you did? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Me too? Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> you owe us money, Stuart. <laughs> no. and, uh, so, yeah, and thank you guys you know, for, for the donation for the prop, too. So uh, um, that's awesome. And uh, that, that, that really blew my mind when you guys said you were going to do that. So I, I can't thank you enough. And one truck leaves here every day. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so I, for, for your listeners. And I wanted to mention this before I forget is, um, I generated 22 coupon codes for 20% off. So 2022. And that coupon code is just the initials of your podcast. Um, the making the difference. MTD. Yeah. And, um, and, yeah, and it's not fuck. <laughs> it could be. I could change that, right? Everybody remember that. So yeah, uh, MD uh, PC podcast. MTD. Yeah. Oh, MD. Yep, MDPC. All right, so we'll, we'll write ma- that down and put yeah, it on the thing. Ma- making the difference podcast. Okay. So, um, so yeah, I have uh, twenty two of those available for twenty percent off any class you guys want. And then when um, when does Copper State start? March twenty. March twenty fifth. 26, 27. Yep. Yeah. So uh, thank you guys for for everything you did and letting me be here today for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad. So uh, one question before we wrap this up. Um, So, and we'll put this in context of your career. What would you, what would you want to go back and based on what you know now and who you are now, what would you want to tell yourself in the beginning of your career um, that would make a difference? Um. I would have promoted earlier. Uh, I, I was that captain that always kind of pushed the status quo. And, and from the right seat of a fire truck, I was, I was able to train one person at a time, one person at a time. And, and I was in that finite game, right? Little victories were enough for me. I'll always, you know, got won that battle. You know, oh, I got that nozzle on that hose now. Oh, I changed the 35-foot ladder to a 28-foot ladder. Oh, I did this. And those... Those little victories were enough. Um, and ultimately, I, I chose to test for BC last year 
uh, towards the end of my career. And now I can see that, man, I, ha I had it wrong. As a leader, as an organizational leader, I, I should have been, well, I thought I was looking at the big picture, right? I got this thing changed. Um, and here I am thinking, you know, we got, we got a big 501c3. I'm the president of this, this thing now. And I, and I got big shoes to fill with Dave. He's amazing. And I'm thinking, I had the game wrong. I'm playing the game wrong. I, I need that. I need the infinite game. I need to start, you know, not just changing this little equipment on this. I need to start changing cultures and, and doing that. And the way I do that is through relationships with you mm -hmm. and, and other, you know, other people like you. And I should have, I should have promoted earlier to spread that word and, and had more reach than just the finite game on, on the front seat of Engine 10. Uh, I hate to say I regret that because I love being on Engine 10. I, I had a fantastic crew for 18 years of my career, and those positions barely changed unless, you know, one, one of the guys were retired or promoted out. So we had a tight-knit crew, and we worked well together, communicated well, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that's the one thing I, I wish. And guy, it surprises guys when they, they ask me, you know, the, the same question. They're like, hey, you know, why did – would you do you like it did do you like bc and i said yeah man i like it more than i thought i said i, I wish i would have done it earlier so because i uh i even though there's the, some issues that come with it again I, I haven't had any personnel issues i haven't had anything because I, I i talk to people i'm not i'm okay with having uncomfortable conversations like adults and and i'm okay with uh, listening taking feedback and developing relationships so I think that's easy, right? I don't know if it's just a leadership style or, or whatever, but uh, or not leaving the crew and understanding what that's about. But I, w I wish I would have done it earlier to have a bigger impact on not just my organization, but reg regionally. Um, you know, because I, I do get to travel all over the place. It's been a lot of fun, um, but that that wasn't the infinite game. Yeah, let me throw this at you. Do you think you were really ready five years ago to, to be where you're at today? Because maybe you're exactly where you need to be right now because back then you maybe weren't ready for that. Uh, my ego wasn't ready for it, okay. right? Because right. I, I liked the small victories. Right. So uh, I liked pushing that status quo from that seat, right? Because I'm the, I'm the only one doing that. Um, but Because uh, uh, you maybe didn't learn, like you had to learn that that wasn't, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. And right? it took that time for it, you to kind of learn that. It and did, and it took the position to learn it. To, yeah. to be, to be honest, right. you know, we we don't allow, and at least in, in in Mesa, we don't allow our organizations to. We don't we don't have that uh, a professional development, right? I, I was a captain for eighteen years, and not once was I able to act BC. I I went into the fit position when I was kind of all and told to do it for a week or two when somebody was gone. Right. I hated that position. And it's crazy position it, on the fire fire. So, <laughs> and, and I'm like, I, I don't like this at all. Right. Like uh, my shirt might as well just say bitch, the, the battalion incident tactical command helper. Right. So uh, I'm like all the fun without the responsibility. What's wrong with that? So I'm like, I don't like this, but you know, now that, that I sit in the BC role, I have some bitching fits, man. Yeah. Those guys are all over it. But I hated that position. <laughs> so, and I was never able to skip that position and go to BC until I tested. And then all of a sudden, here I am going, okay, I didn't get any additional training. 
right? right. I, I just took a test, and that that test moved me from the right seat of an engine or the right seat of a, a pickup truck in a day. Right. And, and I wish we had that professional development to fill that gap. And I might've liked it earlier. I might've had that mental, you know, um, fortitude to go, okay, this is, this is better for me. Yeah. You know, this is what I could change. Um, this is what I like about this. And, and I never had that opportunity until late. So, um, tactically I, I was ready you know, then, and, mm-hmm. and I had some, had some good calls. I was, you know, physically and mentally ready, but I wasn't, I, well, mentally, I wasn't mature enough. Yeah. You know? well, maybe you didn't but, have, yeah. I don't know, maybe you're being hard on yourself, but maybe you didn't have the wisdom. It, yeah. Yep. Because you, because you probably were more than mature enough. Probably a lot more mature than me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> so, the, so the wisdom, because so, wisdom only yeah. comes with, with, with time on the earth, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you need those trips around the sun to be able to get yeah, that. To be like, okay, yeah, yeah now, now, I'm, now, now I need to be somewhere else. Right. And like my personal opinion is going from the right front seat to, to being the IC in, in a BC, I think it's easier. You're yeah. not doing 12 different things and have turnouts on and gloves and stupid shit. And you're like just sitting in this air, you air know. conditioned truck and yeah. yeah, put the water on the fire until yeah. it goes out. <laughs> I feel like you're almost playing Apparently, a game. your yeah. thumb's never gotten sore or tired. <laughs> no, because I use my pointer finger. Oh, that's okay. Why. All right, got it. Yeah. Uh, well, that's how yeah. we do it. Yeah. Like this. Apparently, you're just ready to be one of those fucking chiefs. <laughs> no, yeah, not me. Yeah. <laughs> Chaos, right? Yeah. Chief has arrived on scene. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. All right. Well, um, Thanks for being here. Uh, I I appreciate the conversation. I like talking about this stuff. It matters and we need to move the needle and you have been moving the needle and that's, that's pretty fucking cool. So, um, yeah. So, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this thing up. You got anything you want to throw in? No, Jake Bennett, uh, texted me during this to send a picture of you sitting in that chair and he said, uh, yeah, he's a good dude. I was just with him on the last, I was just with him on two working fires within the last 12 hours. Good dude. Yeah, that's yeah, Jake says hi. Pretty nice to say. Yeah, Jake, Jake's solid. I, uh, yeah, I love those guys. You know, all, all of them, and I, I think they, they know that. You know, and it, very much like Chief Stewart, it's, is, uh, my job is to keep them safe and bring them home to their families. You know, um, when I go tell that story about Aaron, you know, I don't think I ever completed that story. Did I say look me in the eye and tell me you bring bring your yeah, kid home absolutely. safe? Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you know, I spoke at the academy. Um, years ago, and um, I told the parents there, you know, that that story, and I said, hey, I can honestly look you in the eye and say, we as RTOs, and I wasn't the RTO there, but we, we've done everything we can to bring your kids home safe to you, and now it's their job to, you know, to move forward and educate people and stay educated through your career, and I think, I think these guys know, and if they don't, you know, that I genuinely care about them, and, and my philosophy is, is, a little different you know it's always about the public we swore to serve and like like i said before being our best is is their best chance and that's my expectation of the guys well just like you knew it in your bosses who cared and who didn't they know they they know it whether you've said it or not they know that yeah they just know so there's no hiding that firefighters are uh, are fantastic at figuring that shit out yeah all right well We'll wrap this thing up, so we appreciate it. Uh, you can find the Make the Difference podcast at, at the uh, only uh, only where the finest podcasts are uh, available. 
Uh, I don't know what those places are, but that's where it is. <laughs> and um, get us so, to seventeen listeners. Come on, seventeen. 17? Yeah, we, yeah, we do. We yeah. We well maybe maybe twenty twenty two. Maybe if somebody that Chris knows listens, that gets us to seventeen. And who knows? Maybe we hit twenty. Twenty two would be amazing in twenty twenty two. Now, yeah. well, now you're talking fucking crazy. You're a high goal guy. <laughs> you're a high goal guy. It's me, high achiever. Yeah. All right, perfect. Thank you. Look Thanks, forward Chris. to the next time. Really appreciate it, Chris. And uh, thank you. Take thank care. Thanks for having me. See you. Today's episode is brought to you by Reef Builders, winner of Best of Howls. Five years running. Reef Builders is a Tempe, Arizona-based, full-service design-build construction company. What's a design-build company? It means you deal with one company for everything. Reef Builders is able to take your vision and bring it to life by drawing your plans, producing photorealistic, high-resolution 3D renderings of your kitchen, baths, and more, helping you design and pick your finishes, and finally, executing that vision. With their years of building experience and a superior client experience, Using tools such as online project management software through their client portal that allows you to see your renovation in real time. Whether you're in town, on vacation, or living in another state, you have access to job progress photos, your build schedule, financials, and much more anywhere in the world. So if you're looking for a complete bath or kitchen renovation, a complete home renovation, a custom home designed and built, or a boutique commercial project built out, Reef Builders can deliver it. Reef Builders, your vision, their experience delivered.